I get a feeling there's going to be a riot. I don't read the newspapers because they all have ugly print. Tom so street. Hello, my name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, where this week we are going to talk about and spoil Fast Five, or the Fast and the Furious Five. Uh, uh, what was that a spoiler? <laughs> Uh, well, I guess not. Uh, let me introduce there... you guys. Uh, ho- hold on one second there, Kelly Wand. Let me introduce, uh, I wrote his name down so I can get it right this week. Christian Muwarski is with us. Don't even worry about that. You can just call me Buster. Uh, and Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand, what's the Fast and Furious 5 Rio heist, or heist in Rio? It's something like that. Dingus will brief us on that in a minute. What is the tagline sure. this week? Uh, it's like Ocean's Eleven minus six, but with five Joey Bishops. Good. Who's Joey Bishop? That's, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. You know what? There's going to be a he whole thread about. He was on Friends. He was in that Phoebe Cates scene that you guys didn't see, where Kevin Klein masturbated. Oh my God, he's talking. <laughs> but yeah, you can't call it Furious in the title because it's not in there. Because I've actually Michelle seen Rodgers. it. Now I've seen it written Fast and Furious Five. Rio Heist Where? or something like that. Uh, what? The IMD, you know what? Let's get Dingus in here. Dingus, settle this. Uh, give us the specifics. What's this movie what's, called? Yeah, what did we see this week, Dingus? Don't don't give us any spoilers. Just give us the basics. Is it Battle LA or Battle for LA? What the fuck? It, it is not what the fuck. <laughs> All right. Th- this week we saw Fast Five. Uh, it, it is also known as Fast and Furious Five or Fast and Furious Five Rio Heist as Tom has uh, intimated. Um, it is a 2011 non-street racing action heist movie directed by Justin Lin. Uh, the film is about a heist in Rio and has nothing to do with street racing. It stars Tyrese Gibson, Chris Ludacris Bridges, Sung Kang, Gal Gadot, Tego Calderon, and Don Omar. It is rated PG-13, like the original, for intense sequences of violence and action, sexual content, and language. Yeah, that's mean, Dingus. You skipped right over the three leads. What? Four. He, 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 he oh, skipped right. four. He four of them. Wow. That, I think that's... What an asshole. asshole. No, God. Why yeah, would Dingus crazy. do that? <laughs> what are you talking about? I I said who was in the movie. I said the film stars... Right, Tyrese skipped... Uh, what are you talking about? All right. I guess I guess you're, you're intimating something yourself there, aren't you? I might be intimating. Uh, Maybe he's saying that stars is too strong a verb. Well, we'll see what he's talking about. I have a Z at the end of that. Doodle. Wait. Uh, Kelly, let's get into some spoiler territory. If you haven't seen Fast and Furious 5 Rio Heist, I'm just warning you, we're now entering spoiler territory. If you don't want us to ruin crucial plot points about who does what to whom, when, and how, and why, you may want to bail and the, on the podcast until you've seen the movie. As difficult and challenging as that sounds, you may want to stop listening to Tom's voice right now. Kelly, want to give us a synopsis <laughs> of Fast <laughs> And what are you going to call it this week? 
Phistopsis? Phopsis? <laughs> right. Oh, and you know how you're always telling me I should listen to the podcast? I'm all, no, I'll hate the sound of my own voice too much. I did listen to one, and I realized something I do way too much is when I'm about to do the synopsis, I get distracted by some bright, tinkly object and go off on some boring tangent. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to stop doing that. <laughs> but before I do, did you guys stay for the Easter egg after the credits? Well, of course. And it wasn't after the credits, actually. It was it was among some the of- credits. Right. It was, it was sort of uh, insinuated during the credits. Of course we stayed for that. Why wouldn't we? Uh, it's a good verb for that one. Did you not? Okay. Did you miss that, Kelly Wand? No, I didn't. I felt really good because a lot of people, a lot of people bailed, like a packed house, and half of them left. And I'm like, and afterwards, it's like, oh, those people are going to be sad. They well, Kelly Wand, you missed the one from the the most recent Resident Evil movie. So technically, since you what haven't seen that? the the one where uh, uh, the girl that you mentioned, whose name I forget, is arriving on the ship with a whole Zodies. Uh, <laughs> Isn't there a name, girl named Zodies? Uh, wasn't it Jill Valentine? Like, doesn't she? Well, spoiler, but uh, a, a character who you were you were like, oh, so such and such character wasn't there. I'm bummed. And we were like, uh-huh. yeah, she was. She was in the little button after the credits, and you missed her. So I'm glad you've uh, learned your lesson and that you're now sticking around long enough to see these these little cool Easter eggs that are in or hers, after the credits. Hers is one button I regret missing. So were you? You must be glad you you saw the Michelle Rodriguez button then, right? All right, we'll get into that in a minute. Give us the synopsis, Kelly Wand. I've been looking right, forward to no this. No more tangents. Yeah, no more tangents. Yeah, but dude, before I do, it's one last away. thing. No, no, stay away from those tinkly objects that you mentioned. I have no idea what you're talking about, but anything that's tinkling right now, ignore it. Okay, so not the trailer for that Body Switch movie with Ryan Reynolds and Jason Bateman? <laughs> that is going to be awesome. Did uh, you see that? Ah. Uh, because they're both brown-haired dudes with the same vocal styles, but they switch bodies. <laughs> I don't, why would the single one want to be married? I don't understand. All right, Fistopsis, Tom. You ready? Rock and roll. This is the first Paul Walker podcast, Tom, that we've done. Mm. Are you salivating? Is that true? That's the first one I can think of. Paul Walker, we didn't... What was his last movie? Four Takers? Years? The Taken? Yeah. Takers? The Take? take The Taking? Something like that. The Armored Car Robbery one. We didn't PC about that one. We didn't? What about 8 Below? Did we do 8 Below? Uh, that was a long time ago, dude. All right. <laughs> I just saw it last week. I don't know why you think it was a long time you ago. You watch it every week. I'm not impressed. I, I, every Wednesday night, I sit down and watch 8 Below. It's Paul Walker night, or Paul night. It's 8 uh, Below night. Yeah. And then on Tuesday nights, I, I, I watch the, the one. He was in a movie that was like, uh, it was like that Adrian Brody thing called The Jacket. You probably yeah. saw that. There was a Paul Walker version of that. I can't remember the name of it now. I watched that one on the, Tuesdays. The parka. On Mondays, Kelly Wand, I watch uh, Into the Blue. No, what was that diving one called with Jessica Alba and uh, Josh Brolin? Into the Blue. Into the Blue. I watched that on Mondays. Josh <laughs> Scott Kahn <laughs> and Josh Brolin are interchangeable <laughs> in your head, Oscar-wise. Wait a minute. No, who was the villain in Into the Blue? Was it not Josh Brolin? I don't remember. Yeah, so if Into the Blue is is the deep for the younger set, you know, the the Paul Walker fans, where Paul Walker plays Nick Nolte, Jessica Alba plays Jacqueline Bissett, and Josh Brolin plays both Lou Gossett Jr. and Robert Shaw. Except in the deep, they're trying to 
vacuum up tons of morphine from the ocean floor and in in the blue jessica alba like cuts open a brick of cocaine and throws it and lets it go into the ocean because she doesn't like drugs well war on drugs exactly this it's a it's a post-war on drugs version of the deep yeah how do we what about what's this about bright tinkly objects give us our synopsis already <laughs> what night All is right. snow dogs night <laughs> snow dog paul walker's not in snow dogs everybody knows that dingus <laughs> and the dogs in eight below, just so you know dingus the dogs in eight below don't talk it's a realistic movie does paul is what do you call him <laughs> when it's just you and the doll <laughs> i mean uh <laughs> i right, should get Fast in the five, the fast five (laughs) synopsis. What do you got for us? Go. All right. So Tom's girlfriend, Paul Walker and Angie Harmon bust Finn Diesel out of prison by making his bus flip over 50 times and explode. But none of the murderers and rapists get hurt because it's PG-13. So to confuse the cops and stone cops in the audience with me, uh, Paul Walker and Angie Harmon go to Brazil where the lovably bearded dumbass member of the crew, Vince, lives with a woman and a kid named Nico Wafers. But Vin Diesel's in Ecuador because that's where his bus landed. And Vince tells Paul Walker that he's got a sweet-ass 21st century train robbery set up involving a train and some feds and a bridge and a cliff and a coyote. Uh, and some CG and a blowtorch. And Vince's wife watches Angie Harmon operate a faucet and fart in a mirror. So she goes, is the baby yours? <laughs> I really like that. Anyway, uh, they break into the train by buying tickets for it. And they trick the feds by stealing the conductor's hat. And Vin Diesel shows up and they're all, wait, if you were local enough to meet us here on the train, why not just call us en route? And his arms are all, and a bad guy shoots the feds, but their plan still works of blowing up half the train and surfing a plummeting car over a cliff and it sinking forever and then getting captured by the bad guy from Desperado. But they trick him by him leaving uh, and them using their feet. And they hook back up with Vince, who I guess betrayed them. Uh... And they find a computer chip, an iMacGuffin, <laughs> inside the car that at random didn't go over the cliff. And Angie Harmon's all, fuck, they're saying we shot those feds on the train. Now the cops think we're murderers. And Paul Walker's all, instead of just like, and Paul Walker's all, well, we did kill 50 other people when the train blew up. But yeah, ballistics suck. That's why I left the force. Plus you, dollface. And she's all, ah, that's what Tom calls you. And Vince is all, let's give the chip back to the drug dealer. And Vin Diesel's all, return a computer chip to a Brazilian? Get out! And The Rock's bald like Vin Diesel, but has a beard, and he wants to arrest Vin Diesel. Probably that's why. So he hires a hot Latina cop, because according to her file, she's a real badass and totally incorruptible, um, which she remains for like the next five seconds of the movie. And The Rock chases them from their garage across some tenement rooftops until uh, Paul Walker and Angie Harmon look down and she's all, oh shit, it's a tin roof five feet below us. What do we do? And he's all, (laughs) so they escape by not being visible in the next frame of the movie. And neither is Vin Diesel, but his crucifix shape like Michelle Rodriguez's corpse gets left behind and the Latina cop decides to wear it. 
which the rock never notices. And Vin Diesel goes, all right, here's the plan. We'll separate forever, and we can do more damage that way. And Angie Harmon's all, I'm pregnant because Paul Walker. And Vin Diesel's all, aw, I bet Tom's jealous of you. And Vin Diesel's all, uh... So that computer chip has the Desperado guy's delivery schedule on it. Let's use it to steal all his money and disappear by buying expensive cars and flaunting our wealth in casinos. And N.G. Harmon's all, well, since he knows we already have the chip, won't he just switch his routes now? And Paul Walker's all, all right, Cupcake, we need to put a team together. And she's all, "Mm." So they get Tyrese Gibson and a couple dudes who speak only Portuguese with English subtitles because the target audience for these movies love reading. And they hire a hot Latina who's not the cop, but kind of similar, whose superpower is wearing a bikini made out of luminol. And they raid Desperado's crack house and Vin Diesel burns the money, which is all in small bills in a gigantic cube wrapped in mylar. Kind of like the Avatar bomb, where it won't tempt any of his employees. And Paul Walker's all, wait, why are we burning this? I mean, we could just steal it because he's still going to move it on to the police station like we want him to. We steal it. Plus, we'll have the money, so we'll be richer. And then we can afford your vault to do the thing. And Vin Diesel's all, Let's see you carry a science fiction movie, Goldilocks. <laughs> wow, really? That? That was the simple stuff with you guys. <laughs> I mean, so kind of like Wachovia Bank, uh, the cops help the drug lord move all his money into the police station, which in Brazil have bank vaults inside them. And he's all, is all my money in here? And his henchmen are all, yeah, seems kind of dumb not to just put it in a Swiss bank account instead of a vault that two cars could drag behind it. But you're the boss, boss. And he's all, what about Paul Walker and Vin Diesel? And they go, uh, no, they're not in the vault. There's no room for them in it. Plus, we can't find them. Although we were giving thought to checking out that street racing place where all the Brazilian street racers hang out and those chicks with Brazilians and their asses always move in slow motion. And he's all, we must give the peasants running water to enslave them more moistly. And the rock finds the car and has his top agents who are all going to die later and take it apart and put it back together for a thousand hours. And they're all, nope, nothing, Good night, boss. And he's all, wait, did you guys check this 8-track and the stereo module? And he opens the dashboard and an iPhone comes out of the cigarette lighter. And he's all, okay, one last thing, fish the car that went over the cliff out of the ocean, take that one apart too, and then we'll lunch break. <laughs> Meantime, the heroes have Tyrese Gibson use Paul Walker's FBI badge with his picture on it to trick a suspicious cop behind a glass window into putting a box with the robot car inside the drug dealer's vault and they trick the cop by him putting the box on the shelf's edge where it can open from the side and the car can fall out right side up (laughs) and uh, I guess uh, John Landis came in and directed for a day because they tricked the same cop into getting blown up by a poo bomb so the Portuguese guys can come in and clean it up because that's who the cops called. They called the Portuguese heist guys. That's how uh, they do their robberies. Anyway, so they tricked the rock by him only bringing 10 cops to retrieve them from the street racing corner. But the Brazilians all back up Vin Diesel with guns because he outraced their guy earlier in a sequence we didn't get to see. So they're all, 
let's do whatever this American says. And then Vin Diesel tells The Rock, see, you have no power here, gringo, because you're American. Uh, <laughs> but then The Rock tricks them by finding them at their warehouse, because it's the only building still left unblown up in Brazil. But then some guys of the Desperados with masks blow up The Rock's SUVs, uh, even though the SUVs are kind of doing what he wants, like get rid of the money-burning guys. So The Rock agrees to help them rob the police station and kill a bunch of civilians in exchange for Vin Diesel not killing him with a wrench earlier. Which is good, because they didn't like tie him up before verifying his involvement. So he and the Latina cop helped him kill a bunch of fellow cops and civilians by dragging a fake bank vault around Monaco from some cars, and the cops try to trick them by um, not using helicopters, but just small police cars for Vin Diesel to sling the vault into. Uh, and Angie Harmon looks at her laptop and says, turn right. But Paul Walker pulls a road warrior and nobody notices this other vault that was being dragged by two other cars going in the other direction because they were going the speed limit and not killing as many people. Because <laughs> the cops got mixed up because they only followed the one vault. See? <laughs> They were watching that thing the whole time. Anyway, so the handsome criminals prevail, and Vin Diesel leaves Vince's wife a giant ton of unlaundered bills in her slum neighborhood uh, with the door unlocked and a note that says, If don't want, send back. Duh. P.S. Sorry about Vince. And she cries tears of joy because she's rich and a widow and an accessory. And Paul and Vin go to the beach to say stuff, and Paul Walker's all, man, we're awesome. I can't fucking believe we've made five of these fucking things. Or in your case, three, Mr. Man Apart, Triple X over here. <laughs> and then Diesel's all, actually, I'm a cop. You're under arrest. And Paul Walker does a spit take. And then the movie screen told me not to try any of the stunts I'd just seen, except in CG cars and with a lawyer and a physician in the back see, and a huge budget and storyboards. And the rocks at work burning the midnight oil instead of catching Vin Diesel and Paul Walker because uh, he gave them the 24-hour head start and there's still 23 left. And Eva Mendez shows up draped over his desk uh, and is all, by the way, the cameras at that police station you helped rob and kill cops at caught your face. It's kind of all over the news, huh? And he's all, I'm not interested. And she's all, you will be when you see these. And she opens her shirt and flashes him these pair of brown sugar-colored file folders and he gropes around the top secret faxes and he sees a picture of Jerry Reed and Burt Reynolds. <laughs> and he's all, whoa, I'm still thinking, uh, picking that Latina cop who's on a beach fucking Vin Diesel right now proves I'm competent. The end. All right, Kelly Wand, well done. Uh, you know. <laughs> there, it's here. All right. Fast uh, so- five. Yeah, I, w- I want to know why Dingus has uh, wants to skip over the four main actors. What do you think it means? You're the predict Dingus uh, gamesman. I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I mean, it, All right. it seems intentional. Like, why does Dingus hate Paul Walker, Vin Diesel? And why are you calling her Angie Harmon, by the way? I don't get that. Who is Angie Harmon? <laughs> That's actually brilliant. I really love that. Who is that? Because I, I totally uh, fell in love with Jordana Brewster in the first one. I, I thought she was so hot. Um, and and this one, I just kind of think uh, she's, she's too skinny in this one. Like Angie Harmon, like if Angie Harmon was was fatter, she'd be perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is Angie Harmon? I don't know who that is. All the 
chicks in this were too skinny. Now that I think about it, the other hot chick was way too skinny. You know, Kelly Wand, the audience in Virginia agrees with you. Yeah, see? So no one's going to tell me who Angie Harmon is? Uh, Law and Order, Tom. Have you ever watched Law and Order? Oh, a TV person. You you just said a TV person. Law and Order's on Snow Dogs Night, so he can't, uh, (laughs) because he's got one hand on the remote and one hand on Paul Walker. Uh, Does Jordana Brewster play Angie Harmon? She's on Law and Order, or is just an actress that looks like her? Oh, God. Angie Harmon is one of the replacement uh, prosecuting attorneys on Law and Order, (laughs) in one of the permutations. And uh, and she does indeed... Jordana Brewster in this permutation of Jordana Brewster does indeed favor Angie Harmon, so it's a great, great choice. I don't, Dingus, and I know you were like all, oh, Jordana Brewster is so hot. I don't, I don't see the appeal. I just don't. She's hot in the first one. She's not as hot in this one. Well, so here's my theory, Kelly Wand, about why Dingus just isn't going to mention the four leads. For the most part, I thought they were all pretty much invisible. Uh, I, I I mean, I don't. The Rock, and that's why I say for the most part, there were times where he actually seemed to be having a bit of fun, and uh, he looked awfully goofy. But um, so that—that's my theory: is that is that Dingus thinks that the leads were uh, didn't carry the movie. Um, I will say this, and I'm—I really want to get to what you guys thought of the movie, but I just when I when I saw the first movie, I remember thinking, "God, this Paul Walker character is such a fucking dumbass." I don't, it's just, I just can't take it seriously. And then this movie was like, oh, I get it. He's a dumbass. And it was awesome. <laughs> and it was hilarious. And it was making me laugh. And I was laughing every time something dumb happened. And I was laughing constantly. And I liked it. All right. Well, see, I thought Jordana Brewster was just kind of this generic Megan Fox stand in. And she just did nothing for me. I don't So that's my theory about why Dingus decided to mention the supporting cast as if they were the leads and gloss over the leads. Uh, all right, Dingus, fess up. What's up with that? Um, the only time the movie caught me at all was when Tyrese and Ludacris showed up. And when those guys showed up and started talking, I was so happy. See, and I loved, I loved <laughs> Sung Kang and Gal Gadot, who's uh, the Israeli girl. I, I liked what they were doing. I liked, what all the, I liked the two clowns. I liked those clown characters. Yeah, they were good. I liked them, um, too. I liked all of those guys. I liked the team. I liked what they were doing. Uh, the The movie suddenly became interesting for me and funny and true for my packed theater, too. And I thought the uh, leads were horrible uh, over and over again, not just invisible, but horrible. And after a while, I started to just blame the script for that. Okay. Pay up, Kelly Wand. You owe me 10 bucks, Kelly Wand, just so you know. What did I say? Well, we bet. I called it. So you got to pay me 10 bucks. No, you know why this movie's awesome and Dingus is nuts? Is why? there's so way it's all stuntmen and hardly any CG for a summer movie. It's all it's 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 like real shit. Mm, I'm not sure I could go with you there. Yeah, uh, I don't know either. <laughs> uh, also, did you guys know that the Sung wait, what's his name? Sung Kang. I got like Sung Kang. His character dies in the third one, so this is a prequel. So at the end, when he says, "We'll get to Tokyo eventually," or something like, he's going to. It's like uh, the Paula Matt character in American Graffiti. Uh, none of the, you, you know, most of those characters are from either the first movie or the fourth movie. Or actually, Tyrese Gibson was in the second movie. So uh, Tokyo Drift so is, is actually so is, in. Uh, so is Ludacris. 
Right. And, and Tokyo really? Drift is sort of a pocket movie almost. Tokyo Drift, of course, we're, we're missing. I actually thought it was a little conspicuous. Uh, poor Lucas Black. Because, you know, you know, they get Lucas Black to fill in for in lieu of anyone famous in Tokyo Drift. Uh, and Racist. And in this one, Fast Five, they bring back all the team. You know, that guy Vince. Except, um, except Lucas Black. Uh, Wait, was he G. Panson? He was G. Panson. He's, yeah. That's probably uh, what's going on. He's probably otherwise. committed to that franchise, the Legion franchise. Ah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> the Legion slash priest. Franchise. The Legion franchise. I love those priest posters. They look like uh, the cover for Assassin. Assassin's I Creed. love that they. I love that this, the studio saw Legion and they went, okay, we're priest is fine. We, uh, a, Kelly Wonder, are, are you sure that Sun Kang's character was in Tokyo Drift? Because he was in the fourth movie, wasn't he? Wasn't he in? Uh, now the he Reaper dies in the third one, and you see him die, so he can't. They can't do a Rodriguez gotcha even with him. I thought he was in the fourth. Okay, I, I could be. No, you know what? He's in the. You're wrong because he's in the fourth one. He's, okay, wait. That makes wait, wait, okay. Let me rephrase that. Then that means four and five are both prequels, and three is the three is the Jedi. <laughs> okay, and we just saw the Sith, and then four is the Attack of the Clones. Ha ha! Star Wars came up. Well, that could be, but uh, he, he was he. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what to do with Tokyo Drift or where it fits in. Uh, I haven't seen any of them except the first one and this one, and I thought this one was awesome. It's the first stupid movie I've liked since Piranha. It totally cheered me up. <laughs> It's well, laziness you, so daring to me. Have you seen that? You you have seen the first one. You talked about that, right? Yeah, and I remember th- things kind of annoyed me about it. Like I liked it for ch- like chunks of it, and then there's a there was a moment when there's a, one moment near the end where they're taking on a truck, and you never get to see the truck driver's face, who's like trying to shoot at them, and that really annoyed me for some reason. Like, what's that guy's angle? Like, have you, you seen the see first? It. You only saw the first one way back when. You haven't seen it recently, right? No. What okay. am I missing? How many times have you seen it? I know. I, well, we know. We don't know more than we already know about Tom's viewing habits. But how many? I mean, <laughs> I've actually. I think I'm the only one on this podcast who's seen all five of them. Is that correct, Dingus? What is your uh, lay out your authority for the Fast and the Furious franchise? I have not seen um, Lucas Black Five or Lucas Black Drift. Four. I've not seen Tokyo Drift. But you have seen two, which is Tyrese and Paul Walker. Oh yeah, yeah. He- I actually own both. Number one and two. Wow. <laughs> Somebody, I bought number one because I wow. it and I watched it again this week. Uh, and it reinforced my hatred for uh, five. five. And um, number two, a friend of mine gave it to me because he got it in a gift bag at some Hollywood event, and I gave it to somebody else. So I, but I really like, I mean, that's why it was so great, to, and, and I haven't seen any of the trailers, so I didn't know Tyrese was going to show up, and I love that guy. I mean, that's one of the, the great things that, that, you know, if they're not going to bring Lucas from Legion, at least they brought him. Right. He, is, he really is good. I mean, Tyrese Gibson, just every, every time he's on screen, whenever he's got dialogue, the movie just kind of lights up. Yeah. I mean, that that yep. guy's just got that magical charisma, whatever it is. Uh, that just uh, and I, I've even seen I, was it, isn't he in Baby Boy that John Hughes? Yeah, oh, you're John right. Hughes. Yeah, no, not uh, John Hughes. Not John Hughes, <laughs> uh, and it's not the Hughes brothers either. Uh, who am I thinking of? John Singleton, you racist. Singleton, good oh, lord! I got Oscar the first winner. <laughs> Shut up! They're Hughes brothers, <laughs> and then I got the first so name. Embarrassed. <laughs> I love Tyrese, but I don't. He's the only black person I know by name because I'm from Arkansas. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh, Tom, 
Their, you know why I like the take on Breakfast Club was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the Hughes. The, the Hughes. Tom, yeah. you know, you know why this movie is great to me is um, remember how we got into it. We both lost interest in the topic instantly, but in one of the forum threads, I said something like it was annoying how in car chases they, no one ever gets killed, and you were like, "You're an idiot!" Like that would, like, why would they make it? That would totally ruin the fun elements. Like, like your reality is very selective. <laughs> I thought, but in this, these guys fucking kill tons of people. They have to have killed half the people on that train. They kill tons of people through the bank vault, dragging that shit around. Like whether you see it or not, it's it's great. Because they don't, they don't do the night and day shot where you see the cops crawling out of the overturned cars. Right. That's that's what you like. It's got a huge yeah. These guys are fucking sociopaths, and they get away with it. And the Rock helps them, and the Rock shit's so retarded. I don't okay, know. Why I, I, can't, I, would, I would agree with you, Kelly Wand. If they hadn't made such a big deal out of the fact that the three federal agents killed on the train were shot by the bad guy. Uh, you know, I don't think they kill anyone. I think in the PG-13 internal fiction of this movie, the only casualties are the ones we are specifically told about. Uh, hey, what about Hannah? We don't see the Hannah family killed. And you convinced me on that. What about <laughs> they're in cargo containers in this? Metaphorically, uh, I, think about it. I think we're talking apples and oranges here, uh, pretty much. Uh, like, I, I, I think uh, th- this is very much in the same vein as Innocent Fun, but... They don't show you that. Well, and the other thing, too, Kelly Wand, is all of the cops in Brazil deserve killing. Right. All corrupt and evil, except for the one chick who, who's a widow, a widow uh, whose husband was killed in the line of duty. Oh, yeah. She's a totally morally. Yeah. Look what her. So let's study her story arc for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Can somebody just enlighten me as to what the um, relationship is with her and Dom? I, I'm not getting it because they have a moment right uh, at that in that first shootout where he goes, uh, like I, I know who you are now, and then he goes to her apartment. Is she like uh, Letty's sister or something? There's this weird I oh. know you quality, and then it's just, it, but it's never explicated as far as I they know. Just know each other. They just, it's just eyes, man. And also, they both lost someone close to them, and she is in a Catholic nation, and he has a crucifix around his neck. He wears but it her. feels like there's a whole storyline that's been deleted from the film, um, unless it's all supposed to be yeah. metaphysical, because it feels like like she has a, an intimate knowledge of who he is, and he has an intimate knowledge of who she is, and they've just met, but they know each other's past, like she's related to Letty or something. <laughs> is, it, is it all just <laughs> weird? There's no doubt about that. They, she, they, never, they never talk about Letty. And she doesn't mention Letty. She goes, oh, you've lost someone. Like, oh, that's why you wear this or something. It's, it's all metaphysical. It's just a bad script. But it's a bad script that's funny. <laughs> Unlike Your Highness or Battle LA or a lot of movies I've seen this year. This movie made me chuckle and chortle. Uh, it's I like, stupid. I like Dingus that you can write in your own backstory like that, though. That, <laughs> that's very well done. Uh, Thank you very much. But I, I think Kelly Wand is right. It's a lazy script, and they just don't bother to, you, you know, this whole idea is that, well, here's, here's what I think is really going on. Everybody has to pair up in this movie. You know, right. everybody needs, you know, right. everybody's got to go off into couples. And the, the, the movie pretend, like it leans a couple of times towards, if that chick wasn't there, then this would be a homoerotic story about Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson's character. Because by God, those guys totally a couple times they look like they're about to kiss. Yeah, <laughs> Paul Walker looks on jealously, and Tom watches his screen jealously at all. Of them. 
<laughs> but just just the subtext of the, all that wrestling that they do, and they get all up in each other's faces, and Dwayne Johnson is always breaking out in a sweat when he's near Vin Diesel, and uh, <laughs> it, it was just really weird. Uh, so you like it's sort of like they have to take the hottest chick in the movie and plop her down next to Vin Diesel to mitigate anything maybe homoerotic. She, she's she's the beard. You know, Dwayne Johnson has his, his goofy Nebuchadnezzar beard going on. She's a beard with a Brazilian. There you go. I like that beard thing, Tom. But now, now hold on a second. Tom, you, uh, you intimated <laughs> earlier huh, that um, you thought Dwayne Johnson was good in this. Uh, uh, let no. me hear you talk about that a little bit. Uh, not good. I thought he seemed to be the only one who was really having any fun. Okay, so here's my deal. Let me let me break down for you the whole. Uh, okay, good. Uh, I'm I'm a Paul Walker fan when he's good. I I've, have been very pleasantly surprised by Paul Walker in in Running Scared. In that um that jacket. I, can't, I wish I could think of the name of it. It's that that sort of psychological thriller thing. And is he insane or is he not insane? Paul Walker did one of those. He was surprisingly good in that. I really liked him as the lead in Into the Blue, but in the Fast and the Furious movies, I, I just Wayne Kramer, the director for Running Scared, says in the director's commentary. Uh, how pleased he is with Paul Walker's performance, especially because, and this is how Wayne Kramer puts it, because Paul Walker is normally hired to just lean on cars. And he's obviously talking about the Fast and Furious movies, and that's what Paul Walker does, is he shows up and he leans on a car and he looks good. And, you know, this move, these movies are about, pretty much in this order, beautiful people, beautiful cars, and locations. Uh, and the people, like, I, Paul Walker just... He, he, they give him nothing to do, and he's confused. In the first movie, I liked this idea that, Kelly Wan, you mentioned that he was a dumbass and that he was out of his element. He's supposed to be an undercover cop who, who doesn't even know he needs nitrous. Like, there's there's that stuff right. where he's he is a dumbass, but now he's just generic super cop dude, and that's just the most boring thing you can do with No, him. no. Okay, well, they, they just have too many characters to do – and to, to do right by Paul Walker in this, but he does get that one good part where he's the only one of four drivers who doesn't notice that Vin Diesel let up on the throttle and he doesn't win the race. Like he's like Charlie Brown. And that's Vin been Kelly one. That's that's been a running gag throughout all the movies, and it's I know, but I like it. Right, right, but you it's just like it's, it's just a lazy callback. It's nothing new for him. You know, that's the only indication that he's not just a totally competent super cop hero dude. Uh, is is that one little gag, and it's just carried you know, over the other movies. There's, there's not a great moment in the first film, and it's not, and and you don't see it anywhere here. Uh, after the first race, which which by the way, uh, Tom, you just said beautiful people, beautiful cars, beautiful locations. This film doesn't care at all about cars, which totally annoys yeah. the hell out of me, and doesn't care at all about speed, which totally annoyed the hell out of mm-hmm. me. But in that first film, after that first awesome race where where rob cohen gets all the speed and everything paul walker climbs out of his car and he's just got this goofy look on his face he's just full of joy and vin diesel's like what are you smiling about and he said i almost had you man and he's so drunk with almost beating him and it's clear that he just he was so overwhelmed by the speed and beauty of the speed of the race from using NOS incorrectly twice and almost blowing up his car. Mm-hmm. He just has this great look of this this puppy who's just like, wow, I've played for the first time. Whoa. I just loved that. And it's this dopey mix 
of uh, that totally gets what you're talking about. This guy who leans on cars, but also is just full of joy. Yeah. And there's nothing here like that, even when he's talking about his pregnant wife or pregnant girlfriend. <laughs> well, yeah, that was a bad choice. Pregnant. And by the way, that but, that that goofy sort of drunk look is exactly how Dingus looks after playing a computer game where he wins. <laughs> When's that happen? I know. <laughs> Once. Uh, the only part of the fourth movie I've seen was that they have a race, Vin Diesel versus Paul Walker, and then their post-race dialogue on that is uh, Paul Walker's like, what was that at the end? You, you broke the rules. And Vin Diesel goes, oh, I didn't know there were rules. And I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. But Yeah, how's that for dialogue? <laughs> worse uh, than in this. It was funny in this. It was funny to me that after five movies, he's still that stupid. Like what? But what's annoying? What, what you guys were annoyed by, I found delightful. Like he just gets even, dumber and dumber and dumber. I didn't even notice how stupid he was because Vin Diesel was so horrible in everything he said, and he looked like a fat Adam Sandler. Or <laughs> what, what the hell? <laughs> wow! He like that's rude. Uh, so here's my thing with Vin Diesel too. He's he's an odd guy. I, there are a few moments where I really think you know Vin Diesel is. First, before even the Fast and Furious movie, he was the voice of the Iron Giant. Uh, so, and then he was in that Pitch Black movie where he's supposed to be a hardened space convict, which I'm like, whatever. And now in this movie, they try to make him this super tough, competent dude. But I always look at Vin Diesel, and I think he's got this dopey sort of jock quality to him, where he's just not very bright guy who means well and who's friendly, uh, but isn't nearly. He should tough. be the. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, maybe he should be the dumbass Paul Walker character based on. But I get that sense that he's and, and there, there are a few moments where they it seems like they accidentally tap into that quality. And those moments, there are two, I think, in, in this last Fast and Furious five. And the first one where, where I'm like, yes, that's Vin Diesel's essential quality. You know, that's the, the quality you want to play on. The first moment is after he finds out that uh, his. So is Jordana Brewster his, his sister? Yeah. Yeah, after he, he finds out that she's pregnant, you know, he's like, we're, we're going to split up, which that was so stupid. Let's split yeah. up. And then she's like, no, I'm pregnant. We have to stay together. And he gets this, like, sort of happy look for them, and they do the group hug because he's just uh. like, a, he's like a big, dumb, huggable, friendly guy. So that, that group hug is a great moment. And then the moment where he reconciles with Vince, where they uh, fake out, like, oh, is he going to betray them? And no, Vince means well. And and where he accepts Vince back into the fold and tells him to go get some barbecue or whatever. Right. Uh, that that little group hug and go get dinner, you know, those kind of little friendly qualities. Like, Vince Diesel has that quality to him. And he doesn't have, you know, that's all this Iron Giant stuff. You know, the, the big robot and Iron Giant is this big, lovable sidekick. Uh and I, I just don't buy, you know, when they do the big reveal where the, the wall of the train peels away and there's Vin Diesel, you know, there is Dom. That whole heroic stuff just doesn't fit uh, for me. What about his elite driving ability? Do you buy that as, that, as an elite driver? I mean, you know, that's one of those things where you just make cars do things they can't really do. And that says that these guys are really good drivers. Uh, you know, that's just something I guess the internal rules sell. You know, these guys can drag the vault around and do crazy physics stuff because they're so good at driving. Uh, so I, I don't know, know how I buy that. I'm, I'm really happy you said that because one of the cool things about the first film is how um, Letty, uh, Jennifer Rodriguez, uh, 
how her energy controls him because there, there's that opening fight between Vince and um, O'Connor and uh, or Spillman as he is at the time and uh, everybody's like come on Tom do something and and he gets up and makes some joke about what you put in that sandwich and and Letty goes Dom and he goes oh <laughs> he goes, and right dead. yep and and there's a couple of moments where when, when she comes in she's like I smell skanks and he's just he's so comfortable letting her guide the ship while he does all the cool animal stuff and he needs I, that i think there there are two for me the the height of all the fast and furious movies is the beginning of tokyo drift and that's it's completely separate because none of the regular leads are in it. It's just this little self-contained introduction that, that uh, Justin Lin did, and it has very little to do with any of the other movies. That's the best that Fast and Furious has ever been, and it's before Lucas Black talks too much. But the second best that Fast and Furious has ever been is the opening set piece of the fourth movie, which was just called huh. Fast and Furious, the, re- the reboot, which is this great action sequence where they're hijacking uh, gasoline tankers off of a big old uh, like a land train, it's they call it, I think. And it's just a truck that has five tankers on the back of it, and they, they steal them one by one. And, of course, things go wrong, and it turns into this cool set piece. So has neither of you seen the opening of the fourth movie? I no. saw that part in the trailer. Okay, well, so so this cool set piece, and it introduces, by the way, the two uh, Spanish-speaking characters, those brothers. Uh, Soon Kang is in it. He's got a girlfriend also who I think goes missing. I don't know why she's not in the... Devin Aoki? Uh, I don't know her name, but but anyway, it's, it's the crew right there, and then it's Dom and Letty and Michelle Rodriguez. And it ends, the, 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 the sort of the climactic moment of the set piece is Dom and Letty and his big old, it's a Gran Torino or something. It's like some souped up luxury car uh, with a flaming, you know, they're at the bottom of a hill against a cliff. You know, they have nowhere to go and a flaming tanker truck is rolling down towards them. And he is, you know, he seems to be, you're not clear what he's going to do about it, but he's gazing intently at it. And she is yelling at him. She's yelling, Dom, like we've got to do something. And it's this great dynamic between them. Uh, and then he finally, you know, guns the car at just the right moment as the tanker truck bounces over them. Uh, but I think that set piece right there, and it plays into this fact that he's a super cool driver, but she's, you know, he really cares about her. There's a sense of danger. You know, there are these stakes, like they're about to get like killed. You know, they're not, but they both are acting as if something could happen. Uh, that right there is the, the, the high point of the series as far as the, the leads are involved. And I, I just I missed Michelle Rodriguez from this one. And Dingus, you're well, so sir, about her adding a lot to his quality as a big dopey brotherly character. Uh, go ahead, Kelly. I'm sorry. What? I was just going to ask. Uh, it's probably boring for people who've seen. It. Like, was her murder in part four, which we now like, is that well handled? Not really. It's it's just you know they they have to give they, they need to add a dramatic. It's about as well handled as Jordana Brewster's pregnancy. Uh. <laughs> I love that. I love her. As soon as they walk in, she's she sees the baby and throws up, and mm-hmm. and she's like, "Does he know?" And I'm thinking, if he doesn't, uh. he's a total fucking moron because he is. the audience knows, right? But look, he doesn't know. I know. I don't know why that's not funny to anyone but me. <laughs> and he just looks like I just get the sense Paul Walker's playing him as dumb. Like I really think it's deliberate and maybe I'm bananas cuz usually you guys are smart about this stuff than me. Well, I think if there were more stuff written in there for it, uh I I mean, I 
yeah. The, the dialogue is so stupid. I mean, there's nothing anybody can do with it. But okay, here's here's okay. Tell me if this is deliberately dumb or just lazily dumb. Like, because I heard someone snort a few seats beside me when this line was said and to me. I was like laughing and, I, and his snort made me laugh harder it was uh when they're in the tr- they're in the train and they like steam weld off the door and they take the car out and like nine things happen i think they even blow up half the train and it cuts to the feds and they go hey we're being held up or something like 10 minutes into that later. But that was really i think great. no i think that's just lazy it's, it's a matter of actually i thought that was a decent action sequence but yeah it's kind of silly like okay now we have to introduce a new element the feds are going to come running back down the cars uh i just liked how long it took the feds to recognize <laughs> through the window by the way through the window that that's happening like right. that was when i go oh okay it's supposed to be it's a comedy it's this is like a and lot like when the newscaster after the bus flips over goes okay uh no one was hurt um and vin diesel escaped like i thought that was like justin lynn winking at us and going studio notes pg-13 gotta love them i mean it, uh, by the way that that sequence the whole opening sequence was the end of the last movie right yeah. uh, except for yeah so the, the the end of the last movie paul walker has actually he, he's he's a he's still a steadfast cop you know he's still a, a federal agent he brings vin, vin diesel in yeah he brings vin diesel in they hope that there's going to be they've 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 you know they've brought in the main bad guy or whatever so they hope that there's going to be some leniency against vin diesel for killing the narco terrorist whatever he is in the in the last movie and it turns out nope the judge throws the book at vin diesel and says you get 25 years to life and they cut to him on the prison bus and then they cut to paul walker and jordana brewster and the crew showing up in those black cars that same shot of the cars coming down the freeway uh-huh. and then the credit sequence comes up which is a really short truncated sequence like dingus is right and they didn't show the race either it doesn't well, it, care about oh, cars. that is so annoying. Yeah, yeah, it really is. There was it's no... like they think we don't want to see that. <laughs> really? Why'd we pay to see this fucking movie? Well, and they even did a huge tease with this idea that they're going to have to outrun the cameras. Uh, right. And then at the end, all of that is like, uh, you know what? Never mind. We, we've, we've gone for a different action set piece. We're just going to drag the vault out. Uh, that, that stuff we were teasing about precision driving, nah, we're not going to do that. Uh <laughs> I, you know, yeah, they, I, yeah, I came to forgive that afterward because at first I was like, "Why did we spend all of this time racing cameras other than having Sun Kang go?" I think I'm in love, um, uh, and then I realized, okay, what we're gonna get is Ocean's whatever with them, everybody doing it, and then one person failing, and then it all falling to hell anyway. Uh, but nothing they did in this movie made any sense from from that to from not having the race to painting those two cop cars black. Nothing, nothing. Yeah. yeah, and it was also kind of repetitive, like the vault sequence, like when I saw it in the trailer, I was kind of excited, like, oh, that looks so stupid, it'll be fun. But when I saw it, like, it goes on a long time, but it's kind of repetitive. Like, all they do is the same shit over and over. Like, you I can't think, do much with the vault. I, I liked the dumb fun of the vault sequence. I, it was just so stupid that, they just, you know, by that point it was okay. You know, it's just stupid. I think the problem with the vault, with the dragging the vault through the streets of, of Rio, is that there was so little choreography, and instead it was just shots of the vault banging into a cop car or knocking down okay. some kind of little low cement wall. Like, like I've, I've always said, and I, I won't hold forth about this too much, but a good, actually any good action sequence, but specifically a good car chase requires three things. It requires 
character. You have to care about who's participating. Context. You have to know what the stakes are and why people are doing what they're doing. And it requires choreography. And there was almost no choreography in that vault sequence. It was just isolated shots of the vault banging into stuff. Uh, you know, when they finally yeah. got to the bridge, there was a little bit of that. They flirted with it with this idea where Paul Walker's car was pushing while Vin Diesel's was pulling. I mean, it, it just wasn't very clear on that choreography bit. And that, that it, you know, there was a lot of glee there, but just not much craftsmanship as, as far as how that was shot. Uh, I, Tom, that's Ray, a really good way to put it because it, it was like watching – like they'd watched the the remake of Italian Job and just decided to swap in blunt force blunt force trauma for that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Is that a good movie? Italian Job. Yeah. The original, yeah. Oh. Not not the remake with the not the little product placement. on Mark No, they, they weren't they weren't in that movie. That movie was Kelly Brinson. No, that movie was starring Mini Coopers. That movie was a commercial for Mini Coopers. Uh, it was, but they, they bothered to to go through the whole, what's the weight of all of this gold or money going to do to the cars, and how's that going to affect our driving, right. which wasn't even a part of this movie. <laughs> but but the end is just total blunt force drama and no choreography whatsoever, and you're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. There, there it was were... just smashing into shit. There were a couple, I mean, and just because I was so hungry for anything resembling this, there were a couple of really cool, like, isolated shots. And I want to mention two of them that I really liked. One of them at the end was, uh, and these are just little tiny moments, there, there's one point where there's a close-up of one of the car's tires while it's dragging the vault. And the idea is that the car is having such problems getting traction that it's just a shot of one of the tires lifting off of the ground while it's trying to pull the vault. I was like, okay, that's kind of a, a cool shot. Mm-hmm. And, was, and there's another shot during the police car race, which, again, ugh, so stupid. What, what was that? Uh, during oh, that, God, yeah. Oh. That was so annoying. Uh, what, what, was, what are they doing? What the, I know. What, what the fuck? <laughs> what it's, is that? They've just stuck. Oh, thing is, what that was there it was to shut guys like you up who might complain that there's no race. See, there's cars. Yeah, there's now you know, there's a race. There's racing in this movie. You dingus. Yeah, technically we got a race. So ha ha. <laughs> Racist. There is there is such a love of of the racing culture and cars in that first movie. There's this moment where where everybody is gathered for that for the the race in this in these huge little in these between these buildings downtown in Los Angeles and they're like canyons and all of a sudden people hear the cars coming they hear uh, Dom's crew coming and the camera switches to behind them and it's like X-wing fighters flying down a canyon you see them in formation coming in and and the way the cars move and the way they're photographed I mean it's like the way the the asses are are photographed in the Brazilian moment you know where you see all the Brazilian slow-motion girls walking by in in this in this movie's race sequence which doesn't materialize but that first movie has such a love and such uh, it's it's car porn it's a fetishism of cars and it's so beautiful and it's such a love for those cars and this movie has none of that they they paint them flat black and just say (laughs) that's a good point what what is up with that race tom what is up with the cop car race what what does that have to do in the movie it's for a million bucks so let's race them? What? what? You know, Dingus, you and should maybe maybe you should see Tokyo Drift because part of the advantage of Tokyo Drift is that it can't just coast on having a scene with Vin Diesel and Paul Walker. You know, they've got poor Lucas Black, so they've got to have colorful cars. They've got to have photography of Tokyo. They've got to have additional characters. Um, 
it's not entirely successful, but at least there is some of this fetishization of car culture still remaining in Tokyo Drift that that sort of evaporates in the, the most recent two movies. Yeah, but there's one Rank shot though. There, yeah, there's... I totally stepped on you. What, what was your other shot? Well, then the other shot is during that cop car race. There's just this one weird shot from inside of a shop window, and you see the glass rattling while the cars go by. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. This idea that they're driving so fast and the engines are so loud that it's making glass rattle. And again, these right. are just little tiny isolated shots that Justin Lin or or whomever put in there. And I was like, okay, that. It's kind of cool. Can you give us more like that? And, and they didn't. Uh, I just think they had too many people to like. They had too many stupid things to keep in the air. Too many plates to spin. Too many generic yeah. plates. Yep. And um, so but it's, it's if if you yeah. want to defend the script, I need you to explain this line to me. So you know when the uh, <laughs> the, the Mex yeah. so the, the Mexican Phil Hartman has them captive, uh, and they're tied yeah. there. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and, he, <laughs> and he says to them, he says to them, I like yeah. to know what I'm up against. And here's, yeah. here's Vin Diesel's retort. And I want you to explain this Irish? retort to me. <laughs> Shut up. That was my Hispanic accent. Here's Vin Diesel's retort to, to, I like to know what I'm up against. Yeah. Vin Diesel says, that's funny because it goes both ways. Wait, what's the first line? I forgot already. Say I like to know what I'm up against. And here's That's funny because it goes both ways. Yeah, explain that line to me, Kelly Wand. I had to write like it to down. Know. I was like, yeah, I like to know what I'm up He's against. Saying says the Mexican they're, okay. right? All right, I got it. Okay, see, they're dangling from a, uh, chains, and there's like fulcrum. And so fulcrum is like works both ways because you push on one end. So it's a physics-related reference, you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. Because Vin Diesel's a fucking physics genius. Did you see his D&D &D character? <laughs> Good. Those <laughs> it's like totally he's got to nerf that guy so dingus you a guys... line i need i need i need you guys to explain a line for me too okay go okay. uh not a phone call more not a bullet less yeah yeah i live hey, who says... I, that's like i live my life one mile at a time <laughs> whoa 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 i don't remember this who says that isn't it that's... go ahead dingus that's the old that testament one? rock talking not one phone call more, not one bullet less. What's he talking about? What's, what phone, what's the phone call? Cause, cause what does they he say that they're supposed to do? And when they when they are told to go get somebody, they do it. Not a phone call more, not a bullet less. Yep. Uh oh, so he's saying less phone, more bullets. I don't know what he's saying. I don't even he's know. Never on the phone. He does his like Tommy Lee Jones fugitive speech. <laughs> And then, <laughs> wait, I have no idea what the fuck. Who is that character? He's totally Chat. wrong. Yeah. And their their man love fight that Tom talked about earlier. I mean, he's and then wait, and then what happens? Keep going. Keep, dis, keep describe what else The Rock does after that, which to me is the best part. <laughs> my, my favorite is when he says, "I'm in," and my entire audience went, "What the fuck?" Uh, I know. Yo, why is that my, funny to you guys? That's my hilarious. Was so was such a weird amalgam of really. Really smart people who were clearly aware of the entire mythology of the series and reacting to everything that happened before I could react to it, and also stupid people who were texting for the entire movie. And uh, when when he said yeah. I'm in, one of the I mean, there's a lot of military guys because this is a military. I was in Virginia, and this is a real military area. And, and <laughs> one, one of the military guys just like, "What the fuck?" When he says, really? "I'm in," 
Yeah, they were really they were really into the movie, and they clearly knew what was going on. As soon as Letty's name was mentioned, people were like, "Whoa, yeah, wow!" As soon as Vince showed up, people were like, "Damn, he's back!" I mean, these people knew this movie, and they were also totally annoyed by The Rock saying, "I'm in." Uh, the Rock, Dwayne Johnson, I think, as far as like dealing with bad dialogue. Part of why, Dingus, you asked before why I wasn't as uh, disappointed in Dwayne Johnson as I was in Paul Walker, Vin Diesel, and Jordana Brewster. It was his his handling of what is potentially the most ridiculous dialogue in the movie. And that is when the one of his uh, little toadies comes up and says, I have good news and I have bad news. He, without a, a wink or a trace of a joke or a nudge, says, you know how I like my dessert first. Yeah. And then once we, we get to <laughs> maybe we've even forgotten the whole dessert reference. Finally, uh, shortly thereafter, he says, now give me the damn veggies. Uh, I like was, that. I thought that was inspired. And I was like that, you know, that's why you hire the rock. He can say ridiculous things like that. And they're still ridiculous, but he can say them with conviction. Uh, so I like veggies. That. I like a guy that size saying things like veggies. You know what? Exactly. Like Richard Simmons. Right. <laughs> and isn't it funny? Like, I don't even think of him as the same guy who we saw in Faster. Which has real car porn in it. Which has real car porn, which, yeah, yeah. And and has a very different kind of Dwayne Johnson performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I loved him in that. I, I just did. You know, I don't think he's bad in this. I just don't think that that he's playing. This isn't. He's not right for this character. I mean, this this should be some old grizzled guy, like a Tommy Lee Jones kind of a guy. Yeah, but then, well, he, can't, they, then he can't do right. the whole like grappling on the floor with right. very gracefully. Right, absolutely right. Would just, then it would look creepy, Dingus. <laughs> it, it would look like something from uh, what's that that thing with uh, Ian McKellen and uh, it looked like some, and and oh, Lord of the Fraser. Rings. Good point. No, and Brendan Fraser. It would look like something from Gods and Monsters. <laughs> We don't we don't need that. Uh, so you're the Ian McKellen and Paul Walker's you're Brendan Fraser. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty degrees and I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, Peter Pan Everybody I could go on and talk more fast five, but you know. Uh, I was baiting you and you just leapt. Book this movie. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> wow. Uh, there's only, I think there's only so much you can say about a Fast and the Furious movie, right? How many rank them in descending order of quality for you? Because you're hmm. the only one who's seen them all. I think this is the worst one. Really? I Yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely say it's the worst one. Yeah. I've seen two, and it's my second favorite. <laughs> but I mean, it's weird. I mean, the time. Uh, this is the first movie since Salt, I think, where I liked something dumb and you guys were like, ugh. Okay. Well, that's good. How does it feel? Are you glad you're there? Yeah, I think you guys are crazy. And the and the box <laughs> office agrees with me. And the box office is never wrong. Because Boy, the Avatar. box office, man, it, it kicked ass, didn't it? Wow. I was it, really... it broke records. Yeah. No, it didn't stop it. It did. It really it did. did. It it like 90, it's like 90 million dingus. It's unit. Yeah, stop it was Universal's it. best opening ever. Let me, re- stop let me repeat it, that. Out. The studio's best opening ever. If there hadn't been that the the number Including one, which e. has a real place in my heart, and I just watched again. Um, I, if this had been the first movie in the series, I think when the team shows up 
which is when I turned around in the movie and it might've won me over, but there's a really good first movie as dumb as that first movie is. It's uh, never mind. Dingus, what is Speaking of dumb, what is our three by three this week? Uh, I can I just uh, apologize up front. <laughs> oh, you're gonna be you're gonna have plenty of opportunity for that, Dingus. <laughs> Why don't you tell us what you've saddled us with here? All right, this is your favorite gestures. Is that what I did? <laughs> can they be uh, faked? Three best senses of place. All right, I apologize up front. This turned I had such high hopes for this when it when it came, when it came to me. It's your uh, it's uh, three objects that you think are. Your three best objects that are like characters, and I can't even articulate it. Three best objects that seem like characters in movies, and uh, and it was inspired by hearing you guys talk so eloquently about the trucks in Sorcerer, and uh, and it just when I tried to work on it all week, I just <laughs> fell apart like crazy. Uh, wow. Hey, uh, <laughs> we should vote. I had a new idea. We can vote on who has the best list. <laughs> and that way, it, there'll be more suspense. Ah, right. What will they win? Uh, they get to see a movie with one of us. <laughs> I I vote Tom. We'll discuss that later. All right. Well, I go Point first it. because I'm introducing next week's three by three. Uh, yeah, Dingus. I good lord. I had no idea what to do with this. I first started out thinking, okay. So objects as characters, what what does that mean? You know, what do you mean by character? Does I, it has to have personality? Does it have to have an effect on the s- story? And I just I forgot that. I, I, I just came up with a couple of things. So I'll, I'll just throw some stuff out. I tried not to do weapons or cars yeah. or, or, or clothes or locations or MacGuffins. And that didn't yeah, mean too much. I, yeah, I only tried to stay away from MacGuffins. When I when I started thinking about it, I just kept coming up with MacGuffins, and that and that was already done. So you know, yeah. So I'm still not sure. I've got a few things. You know what? I'm gonna strike this one off and sub it. So I like my number one, okay, but everything else, I'm like, eh, I don't know. So I'll just go for my number three, and only because I've seen this recently. Uh, there is a, a a fairly charming kids movie which Dingus, I've told you, you and your your son should see. The point of this movie is basically, and I think this is a valuable thing to have in a kid's movie, because plenty of adult movies for guys, you know, middle-aged guys like us, have plenty of movies for, that are basically telling us, hey, don't be an asshole. So there's this great kid's <laughs> movie called Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and the point of it is teaching kids, hey, don't be an asshole. And that's something that you're never too young to learn. Uh so in Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and I presume it's from the book, there's there's this thing about a, a a slice of cheese was dropped on the playground at one point, and it's really gross, and it got moldy, and nobody wanted to touch it. So <laughs> the movie uses it as a way to sort of chart the passage of time. You know, the way this gross piece of cheese left on the playground gets, like, baked by the sun in the summer, and then it freezes in the winter, and it blooms new spots of, of mold in the spring, and it's really foul, and it ends up playing into the action at one point. Um, but that's my number three, is the gross, moldy piece of cheese in Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Uh, a calendar is not a character, so I don't see how that's a character. It doesn't matter. It seems like a character to Tom. That's what's so great about my lists. They're mushy, and <laughs> they can just be, it seems like it to you. So there you go. Dinka sounds defensive about his own number three. I'm, I'm not defensive about. at all, because I've already violated one of the things Tom uh, excluded, and I feel terrible. 
No, no, go ahead. I mean, that was just for me. I tried to set a challenge for myself. I'm not sure I was successful. Uh, but so far, the cheese doesn't count as a weapon, a car, clothing, a location, or a MacGuffin. So I think <laughs> it's I've a weapon a- if you eat it. Spoiler. Oh, guys. I, Tom, uh, that cheese is kind of like the pig's head in Lord of the Flies, huh? And also kids. Mm, that Yeah, that isn't Lord of the... Well, Lord of the Flies, I maintain, is for adults. Again, the point of Lord of the Flies is don't be an asshole and kill the fat kid. Uh, What's the but, moral Lord of the Flies? <laughs> Same thing. Because the fat kid gets killed in that, too. That's what I was saying. Yeah, is that that's the point of Lord of the Flies. It's, uh, but I think it's for uh, adults. I don't think Lord of the Flies is a, a book for children to read. It's about children. But I don't think it's necessarily for children. Hey, Tom, what's the moral of Fast Five? Moral of Fast Five is Jordana Brewster is pregnant. <laughs> Not for the whole movie. Boy, when she shows up pregnant at the end, that's like the – well, never mind. Oh, well, <laughs> Everybody laughed so hard. <laughs> she's not pregnant. Bump. Yeah, she's not pregnant. She's got a basketball under her sarong. I mean she's still in a bikini and everything. And <laughs> Right. All right, so uh, that's my number three. Uh, Kelly Wand, what is your number three instance of an object as a character in a movie? And what did you do with this list, Kelly Wand? Oh, uh, I failed miserably. I'm glad you guys don't like yours. And I only mention the the competition thing because I always lose, and I thought it would be like the noble thing to do. Like, uh, never mind. <laughs> number three is uh, God. This. I know. I know. I hear you. <laughs> you better check that tone. <laughs> you know what? It's like. Some of these are just not worth talking about. All right. I'm going to say for my number three at the last second, uh, the airplane and airplane. <laughs> oh, that works. They, they do the whole like joke like it's a shark. and Yeah, okay. It gets to do stuff. First off, it's got the propeller sound. Ah, and right. It's all, yeah. And um, it's also, it also destroys disco in that one part. I don't know. The way it moves, too. Through the clouds, oh, Jesus. Well, and the the <laughs> auto the autopilot is a part of the plot. right, right, right. That's yeah. what I. Okay, good. I'm glad you'll you'll accept that. All right. I'll I'll give you a mulligan now. <laughs> I'll give you a mulligan. Uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> All right. While we're giving each other mulligans, Dingus, what is your number three instance of an object as a character? <laughs> You're gonna get so annoyed with me, Tom. <laughs> Uh, all right, I think I'll give you a, a quote, and this quote is mainly for Tom because I don't think Kelly will get it. Oh, I know the I know what the quote is going to be. This ah. is something your father gave me a long time ago that he wants me to give you. It's not as yep. clumsy as a blaster. Yeah, but what's the quote, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> See what he did there? It was cysts, but all right, Diggs, what's the quote? I'm ready. I live in the weak and wounded, Doc. Hmm. See, he's using a location. He's going to use a building. What's That's the right. name of the building, Dingus? It's the Danvers State Mental Hospital, Tom. Now, is that in the movie, or is that what it's actually called in Massachusetts? Because that's, of course, no, the place. No, it, it's called something else. You see a placard with that actually written on it in the movie. It's on Instant Watch. You guys should go watch it. This is the movie Session 9, by the way. And it's a say 2001 it movie. What'd you say? What's the line? Uh, I live in the weak and wounded, Doc. Oh. Uh, that was the shark jump, that line for me. But anyway, go on. What? Oh, wait, right, never it's, mind. A, it's a film directed by Brand Anderson, Session 9, and it's the hospital. And, uh, it's, it, you know, it's a little stretch calling a location an object. 
Um, <laughs> so, Dingus, that's the thing is I thought of that very specific building, and that's when I was like, no, I'm not just going to do buildings. <laughs> I'm not going to do locations. Yeah, and I think you were right to do that. But, um, uh, you know, I'm specifically thinking of the big open room where they're removing the tile. Um, when you watch this movie, one of the things I really like about it is how this place is so often seen in stark daylight and still it feels like it has malevolence to it. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, one of my first jobs when I was uh, a kid was doing, um, was working construction and doing a lot of that sort of demolition kind of stuff that mindless sort of break a bunch of crap up, throw it in a wheelbarrow, put it in a truck and take it to the dump kind of a thing. Uh, and, and just watching this in in broad daylight, it, it just felt like this place has a has the way Brad Anderson films it. It just feels like another part, another person in the film, or 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 a force, some malevolent force. And how he does that, and how the music does that with with it in daylight, especially this room with all of those tiles in it. Um, it feels like a character to me. So uh, I, I think that that's, it, I'm sort of cribbing from what could be another list, but that's number three. Uh, Kelly Wand, why do you, why were you saying that session nine jumped the shark with that line? Oh, cause I thought it was a different line. I thought it was, it jumped the shark at the end when you hear the disembodied spirit tell you that he's a manatee or something. It's like, that's that crane shot. And wait, wait but, that's from, but that's from the tape. That's from the tape that one of the characters has discovered and, and is listening to. Yeah, because I'd rather, I liked, because there was a lot of creepy shit in that movie before that's explicated, like the peanut butter jar was really cool. <laughs> and uh, the chair, like stuff that doesn't go anywhere. And that's creepier to me than a voice telling me what it is. And that was the shark jump. Like I would have cut that one thing from it. But the voice is from a patient who has multiple personalities, though. I don't like how how is that a shark jump? Because now it's ta- now it's breaking the fourth wall and it's telling us after the movie's over what its motives are. Boringly, I don't need to know that. It did, it's saying stuff that he didn't say on the tape. It's like the tape talking to us directly. Hmm. Okay. You don't remember what I'm talking about? Or you just no, I totally it? remember because that's that's part of the reveal. I mean, the fact that you hear Simon's voice and that Peter Mullen has heard Simon's voice in his head but has never heard the tapes. I mean, I think that's an important bit of proof. I've had this conversation with people. I, I Some people think of Session 9 as kind of ambiguous, like it doesn't necessarily have to be supernatural. And I think hearing that tape – is is vital to understanding that there is indeed something supernatural going on in session nine. See, right, and that's what kind of maybe that's what I didn't like about that. Like, okay. I I would have preferred the ambiguity. All right. Um, just, just because to... I thought the movie was getting a lot of cool effects off of ambiguity up till then. Right. You would have been happy if it was just a movie about a guy who flips out and and kills his wife and boils his baby. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's my answer to everything. <laughs> Or poach is it? I don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, that was Dink. uh, Have we done your number three, Kelly? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Airplane. airplane, The airplane. Are we up to my number two? (laughs) Yes. Man, how does that happen? All right. Uh, Fast five. My number two is. Which one of these do I want? I'm going to go with the T. I'm going to go with the TV and Poltergeist. 
good one. Because yeah, that is good. I like I'm, that. And I'm kind of sad that it's it's now an anachronism. You know, the average person would see this. There, snow doesn't exist on defunct TVs anymore. You would just get a field of blue, like the TV isn't getting a signal. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of sad that that awesome TV effect of the little girl in front of the the snow, you know, a static blue filled screen doesn't look nearly as threatening or active. You know, there's something going on when there's nothing going on on television in the old days. Now, when there's nothing going on on TV, when it's disconnected, there's nothing going on. It's just static blue. So uh, I love the way they did TV. I love the way it cast light into the room. Uh, I just love the visual of that. I also like that it actually opens with the national anthem being played. Yes, yes. Which I think yes. is also an anachronism. And then it goes from that to static, which is creepy. Like, right. That's like what you're supposed to see staying up late at night, like a flag and then creepy static. Okay, I just remember that as a kid, this idea that, you know, it gets to be so late that even TV goes away. Yeah, right. There's something kind of, like, scary about that. Right on heels of, oh, America will endure forever, we have this national anthem. (laughs) (laughs) Like, nuclear war happens now, you won't even know, because the guy at the switch asleep. Yeah. That's right, you're cut off. There was no internet back then. You know, the, the right. TV was the connection to the wide world, and it cuts off and it's gone. Uh, yeah. Plus, the ghosts were listening patiently out to the national anthem, like, all right, okay, now we can get her. You know, there, wasn't there, there was there was a couple of good TV scares in the Paranormal Activity sequel. Wouldn't you guys agree? Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of uh, was glad to uh, see that back. Wait, yeah, when, you know th- yeah. that's this is really a good choice. I like this. I mean, because it, I had that. You know, when as soon as you talked through that, I remembered because we had like I lived in the mountains in Colorado, and we had literally two channels that we could get. And, and no matter what you did with the antenna, we got two channels. Man, you and there suck. was that yeah. moment when it just went out, and it went, yeah. and it doesn't happen anymore. We had four yeah. channels in in Arkansas, Dingus. You only had two channels. That's when you're when no you're more, when you're more backward than Arkansas. Man, that's sad. I remember uh, my my uh, my dad trying to watch uh, the Super Bowl one year and just having to just it was just snowing outside and snowing on the television and impossible to see the game. Yeah, and then when it goes off at night, that that feeling of the of the of the color or the testing screen and the and the national anthem was a real thing that happened, and it's gone. Yeah. Your dad sounds like someone who, if Poltergeist was on, he'd get up when they showed the static and like hit the TV a bunch. Of- <laughs> 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 uh, no Kel- uh, would Dingus? Would your dad go up on the roof and work on the antenna if you couldn't get F Troop? Hmm. <laughs> No, we we didn't have a roof. <laughs> <laughs> See, he puts. He's got a good putting game, that dingus. Very good. No right. long game needed. Dingus, what is your number two? Oh, no, Kelly Wan, what is your number two favorite object as a character in a movie? <sighs> My number two is um the telepod in The Fly because... Um, not only does it look kind of ominous, but also at the end it actually does become a character. Okay, and that works. As you were saying it, I was like, "That's a stupid choice." But then when you got to that at the end, I was like, "Okay, that works. I'll buy that." And then you think maybe that was its goal all along, because there's that guy. Uh, his last name is Pollen. He was saying how he's in his garden and he's realizing that 
corn is controlling us because it's making us put ethanol into our gasoline. So maybe corn's like doing an M. Night Shyamalan happening thing on our brains and making us grow it. Wait, that's in the fly? No, but I'm saying the telepod may have been the corn of that movie, like making Jeff Goldblum. Like maybe it wanted the fly in there so it could make him do what he tried to do and then go to the junkyard at the end of the movie. That's an interesting interpretation. No, it's not. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate you. This topic sucks. Uh, Kelly Wand, have you seen the opera of The Fly, which fe- features full frontal male nudity? Yes, I have. It's also got puppets, which are not nude. The baboon's a puppet. <laughs> it was really cool to see full frontal nudity of The Fly and like look over. I've never been to It's the only opera I've seen. And I looked over and like a woman was like two rows in front of me with like golden. What are those? Not monocle, but like the eyeglasses with the long handle on the side. Opera glasses. What? Isn't that Thanks. like the, the little, yeah. Whatever, nerd. Anyway, <laughs> she was all, ooh. Like during the nudity, like an old woman, like oh, opera. Mm. Did she get the vapors? <laughs> it's also a male nude, and there wasn't any nudity. I, he was nude in the movie. I got the sense the audience didn't get it. The opera or the movie? The sound quality. Uh, <laughs> tickets. What's your number two <laughs> object as character? <clears throat> Why did you ask him if he'd seen the opera? Because I knew that either you or he had. I'd forgotten which one of you had seen The Fly. We both have. Aha! See? What? So I, was, I was doubly right. Dingus, you saw it? Oh, yeah. Ah! Oh, wasn't that great? The Flash. <laughs> yeah, those are, the, uh, are all operas like that? That's the only one I've seen. Tom's the there opera. Were six, He's the opera aficionado on this pod. Oh, we, we should just direct people to the opera podcast so Tom can talk about this. <laughs> it's probably the only opera I would ever want to see, actually. I can't imagine sitting through anything except maybe video drum the opera. And Tom the opera. Tom opera? Uh, Tops it. Yeah, anyway, endless. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, we'll say that. Listen to our opera podcast where we will be discussing male nudity and the fly. Uh, until then, Dingus, what is your number two favorite instance of an object as a character in a movie that is hopefully not a weapon, car, item of clothing, location, or MacGuffin? All right, this is not a weapon, car, item of clothing, <laughs> location, or weapon. Ah, uh, okay. Although, can, you, can you give us a line? Sh- yeah, I Which can ship give you a line. Which ship is it? What did you say, Kelly? Which ship is it in Star Wars? Is it Red 5 or Millennium Falcon? It's, it's obvious. Falcon. No, it's a Corellian cruiser. Duh. Does the land speeder have a name? Nipples or something? <laughs> That's not the name you're looking for. Ooh. All right, here's the here's the quote. Pump it out, Chief. Oh, um, Jaws. That's definitely Portman. Jaws. Yeah, it's uh, the Orca in Jaws. Mmm. So not quite the Millennium Falcon, but close. And not the shark. The mechanical shark wasn't a character nope. to you. Nope. Uh, I just love that little boat. Um, and I watched uh, Jaws again because, again, as I've said, interminable times. Um, one of the great things I love about Through Right 3 is that it forces me to watch movies I haven't watched in a while. And uh, I, um, 
in, in spite of that famous line about needing a bigger boat, I never really expect Orca to be as small as it is. And um, there's that moment where where Quint is sailing out of the harbor and making faces at at them, and it seems like kind of a big boat because it's from the front. But when you see Hooper gathering all his equipment and loading the shark cage on, and it's and you see it from the back, it just looks like such a tiny little boat. And I love the way it's painted. I love I love how dirty it is and how cluttered it is, and the way um, Quint has decorated it, and the way their shoes look when they're when they're scooting along the side to get from the front to the back and um there there's something different about orca than about the the boat that hooper investigates when he goes diving um it, when the shark attacks the orca uh, i feel something different about that boat i just i feel like that boat is is one of the characters in the film um i just i you know i just love that little boat so there you go all right, I'll go ahead, Kelly. Wand. I, I like his choice. The more I think about it, because it is another casualty, but it's like helping Brody at the last second. Like, I'll hold still if you do the smile. <laughs> uh, it's a terrible choice. I hate dingus. Yeah, it, it, it is, however, an appropriate segue for this week's feature, uh, which is our Jaws trivia contest. Uh, the first question. What is the name of the woman who broke Hooper's heart? This is for one point. Uh, fuck. Mary Hartman. Sorry, that's incorrect. Dingus, you can now guess for free. You get a free guess. Uh, Mary Madeline. You guys are close. Isn't it Mary Ellen Moffat? Ah! Okay, so no points for any. Actually, I get one point. What is the first name of the shark's first victim? Is it Chrissy? Very good. Dingus gets a point. So it's tied one to one. What is the name of Hooper's workplace? Hooper's what? what? His, His work college? Place. Yeah. Where does where do they get him from? The Oceanography Institute. No, what is the name of it though? Oh I. <laughs> it's the Woods Hole Oceanography Institute, so that oh. gives me two points. I'm in the lead, and I win this week's Jaws trivia contest. What did I get, Coach? Oh, should work. <laughs> did I come in third, Coach? <laughs> Fuck. Too hard. Give me an easy one. I know. What's Quint's first name, Mister Smart? What's the name of the guy whose head rolls out of the boat? Ben Gardner. Very good, Kelly. <laughs> you get half a point because that was after the scoring had closed. So. I win. Dingus didn't know it. Second place. Kelly Wand, you're in third place. So, Kelly Wand, you need to watch more Jaws. Is, is what What's Anakin Skywalker's name when he becomes Darth Vader? <laughs> uh, more importantly, Kelly Wand, what is your number two choice of an object as character? Wait a minute. Did we do yours? I've totally <laughs> yes, lost We're up to your turn. number one, Tom. We're up to my number one. Oh, good. I thought this moment would never come. Uh, my number one is kind of a spoiler, but it's a French movie, so no one's going to see it. My number one choice is guilt in the movie Cash. Oh, what? God. What do you mean, what? Guilt? Yeah. Guilt, the, the emotion? Yeah, guilt. Perfectly How are you spelling that? G-I-L-T? Yeah, G-U-I-L-T, like personal guilt, national guilt, both of them are touched. It's not an object by any definition. It is in cash. In you? Dingus, back me up on this. You've seen it. Dingus, stop recording. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, turn like off the that. tape. Right. Singus, back me up on this. That's an object in the movie, correct? I don't know what to tell you. What, what do you? And it's like a character. Don't write that down on the. <laughs> That's my number one choice. I'm sorry. I'm picking it. That's the. I think it's an inspired choice. If I do say so myself. You know, you've broken more lists than anybody, and this is the worst you've broken. You know, the <laughs> Kelly, 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 I think you have to. I think you have to say a little bit more, Tom. Well, okay, but uh, you haven't even seen Cash, have you? Uh, no. <laughs> so, uh, Cash is basically a whodunit, and it's kind is of... The, spo- go ahead. It, is it the one with Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone, but, like, without... <laughs> it's, it's the prequel, yeah, it's the prequel to right. that movie. It's basically a mystery, and it's a Michael Haneke movie, so you know that it's going to do something weird... Uh, you know what? Here, here's an analog. Uh, in White Ribbon, uh, we never find out who commits these terrible things because the movie sort of almost personifies this idea of moral decay as a character. You know, it doesn't matter who actually tied the wire at the beginning of White Ribbon that trips the guy's horse and breaks its leg. None of that matters because the movie wants you to see that moral decay causes these things to happen. So the specific instance of moral decay almost isn't as important. So you could say say in White Ribbon, moral decay is a character. Before he did White Ribbon, Michael Haneke did a movie called Cash, in which guilt plays a similar role, but it's much more explicit. So that's all I want to say. Not well, an I, object. I forgot that we talked about when we talked about the political thing how um, how national guilt plays in. So you, you know you're onto something there. It very specifically talks about the French treatment of I, I guess what were the like, Algerian expatriates. I'm not up on uh, all of that, but it, racist. It's it's very specifically about that as well as the main character's guilt about something else that he did as as a child. So. Right. That sounds like a good choice as for character, but not as an object. Like, what is what to you is an object? Define an object. Well, an if, you item. Want, if you want an object to be something that you can physically touch, then yes, it doesn't work. But that's part of the, the brilliance of cash is that, you know, guilt can't actually do something. It cannot pick up a camera and shoot footage. It cannot plant uh, an object on a character to remind him of something. Uh, you know, it doesn't act like that, uh, but it does. You know, what all right. cash presupposes is what if it could? <laughs> uh, the third definition of object is the end toward which effort or action is directed, goal or purpose. So that's pretty cryptic. So, okay. so, so, Tom, do you accept Danvers' state mental hospital as an object? Uh, it's not for me to say. I would not have picked it because I, I think it. Uh, yeah, well, yes, of course. It's something that I was considering, but I wanted to try not to do locations. All right, so, then I, I accept uh, guilt, though I tried not to do emotions. Yeah, states of mind. Well, but see, most movies, though, don't treat, emo- treat emotions as emotions. But here, the whole point of it is that guilt is treated as an object, as, as a, a sort of a prime mover, a character. As a MacGuffin. No, not a MacGuffin. <laughs> as, a, as a mulligan. Not a mulligan, not a mulligan either, oh. or a mulligan, whatever. No, <laughs> Kelly. Matthew McGillicuddy. All right, so there's yeah. my number one. We're we're down to uh, Ding. No, Kelly Wan's number one. Kelly Wan, what is your number what? one? Am I wrong? Yeah, Kelly's number one. Yeah. 
Digus backed me up uh, on this one. As the loser of the Jaws trivia contest, what is your number one choice for an object as a character? Uh, the windmill thing in the middle of uh, the thing in Death Trap, like that thing with the house. It was like a propulsion. No, that's stupid. Okay, the Hellraiser cube. Dingus, <laughs> what's your number one? <laughs> Hellraiser, the Hellraiser cube. Tapped into my fear of cubes, and I think in the third or fourth one, it gets put in a construction site and they make a building out of it. So my number zero is the building they make out of the Hellraiser cube. Kelly Wand, who would win in a fight between the Hellraiser cube and the Phantasm orb? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, the cube has to be opened in the orb. And the cube needs a human operator, kind of like uh, Paul Walker, if Tom's around. <laughs> well, Kelly, I'm actually, I'm really happy. You, I'm proud of you. You came up with, with actual... You didn't try to troll it. You came up with real objects. There weren't, like, celebrity penises. I, I think you did a, a fine job, Kelly. Oh, I was going to pick Mark Wahlberg's dong in Boogie Nights. Hmm. For what? <laughs> Diggs, what's your number one? I thought we agreed states of mind. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, this is something that Tom has almost, uh, almost picked or almost mentioned when he was saying rattling off names of movies while we were doing this. Um, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys a quote. Awesome. And in the quote, the character is mentioned. Hmm. Is that the is that the quote? No. <laughs> oh. But the quote I'm about to say mentions the object slash character. Is that the quote? No. Stop. All right. Say the quote before, starts before you do it, Dingus. Say quote and then say it and then go unquote so that Kelly Wan knows when the quote starts. Is unquote the quote? But I'm doing the air quotes. Doesn't that work for you guys? Ah, right. Okay. That's definitely the quote. <laughs> All right, here's the quote. Well, yeah. Did you go run and get the camera first? Oh, wait. wait. Is, I know is this. He doing the care, is he doing the camera in Paranormal Activity? <laughs> God. <laughs> Dingus. Oh, you bet I am. Whatever. Uh, second week in a row. Paranormal Activity. It's on my list. Um, and one of my major laments about Paranormal Activity 2, which Tom mentioned a, a few minutes ago when talking about televisions and uh, poltergeist, um, was how that the tight idea of the single camera was uh, was just was completely dissipated and ruined by the security camera setup in the sequel. Um, and I recall saying as we did that podcast about Paranormal Activity 2 that the camera in Paranormal Activity felt like a character to me. And indeed, many folks interpret um, the the antagonist actions. Trying, how do I say this? As as directed as the at the camera as a character at the end, um, or or a character surrogate sort of. And um, one of my complaints with uh, another sort of found footage movie, Cloverfield, is that I never really believed the conceit um, that. That, that 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 they can sustain that conceit of of HUD carrying around the camera for that entire all of those things that happen. You know, as I watch Cloverfield over and over and over again, I kind of am able to see beyond that, and I, I've come to like Cloverfield more. But um, but in Paranormal Activity, that that camera, it, it's uh, it, it's it's like it's a notepad. It's it's uh, it, it is a it's a 
another character in the film. It's an it's such a vital portion of that film, and so much emotion is placed on it. Uh, like a normal character, it doesn't act on that emotion or doesn't react to that emotion, but it reflects it. So the the camera in Paranormal Activity, which um, you don't see but you see through, is my number one. Actually, don't you see it? Is there they're filming in a mirror at one point? Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, good so point. It does. It does get an appearance. By the way, a far better. So, Dingus, I'm going to trump your pick. You ready for this? All uh, right. Yeah, I'm glad. Right. Let's go. Let's do right. it. Do it. An even He's better object right. as character is the pool cleaner in Paranormal Activity Two. <laughs> so good there point. you go. Yeah. Are we done with this topic? Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, runners up. So I, I almost picked the coin in No Country for Old Men. That's oh. how- <laughs> no. That's I, well, I didn't, I didn't pick it, but that's that's the lengths to which I almost went in this this topic. Wait, which it coin? Came close to picking the ring. How, how weird is that? Mm. The ring? You mean in the ring? The movie? <laughs> uh, let's see what else. There's a there's a. Uh, a great movie called The Reflecting Skin. Has neither of you seen that? Philip, uh, no, what's his name? I want to say Ridley. I don't think that's right. Uh, has neither of you seen Reflecting Skin? I hate no, you. But I can see the the um, the movie cover in my head. Well, it has a an awesome Cadillac that represents, it's not entirely clear, but probably death. Uh, it's got this old-timey Cadillac in it that I almost picked, but I, I didn't want to do a, a vehicle. Well, when I was thinking of vehicles, I was thinking about the car. Oh, the car in the car. Right. Right. We're all fans Kelly, of that movie here. Kelly kind of ruined that by talking about Christine, so I dropped that. Nice work, Kelly. When did I talk about Christine? What, uh, what was I well, of course, you guys... I now, One of the rules was that the object has to be sort of inanimate, but... Uh, oh, right. The the tire and rubber, uh, kind of mm-hmm. the whole joke is that what if an object was the lead character? Um, but we'll get to that when, when we have our rubber podcast. What if Vin Diesel was driving Christine? <laughs> she would drive him. <laughs> uh, rush. Any any other good runners up? Before oh, good die. ones. That's <laughs> we're gonna run your hand of those. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. What about bad runners up? Uh, Who the won the list? An, the the overlook is another bad runner up. How about that? Yep. There you go. I like the monolith in two thousand one, but maybe it was sentient, but because it reflected uh, Jack's mind disintegrating. Why didn't you pick that, Kelly Wand? I would have figured that was right up your alley. It's not. I think I did, but. What did I say? Hellraiser? Uh, I don't know. All right. It doesn't matter. It was a stupid list. It was a stupid topic. No, monolith. We've had. Two- wait, wait. Oh, go ahead. The time machine and the time machine. I really right. liked that. That's a great one. Shut up. <laughs> also. Uh, oh yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Jar Jar Binks is also. Uh... So we've had two weeks of <laughs> flailing around with terrible lists. Idiotic. Right. Yeah, I'm going to get us back on track. Great for Tom. This one was inspired by the movie we saw this week, Fast Five. I don't want to spoil anything, but early on in Fast Five, one of the characters vomits, and that's immediately shorthand for, oh, she's pregnant. <laughs> so 
traditionally pregnancy in movies, like like Due Date, for instance. Pregnancy in Due Date, the movie with Robert Downey Jr. and Zach Galifianakis, is a reason for them to drive across country, and it's it's stupid. Like, pregnancy in movies is often a stupid plot device. Uh, the moment a woman throws up, you know she's pregnant. That's how that whole thing works. So what I want from you guys are the three least bad pregnancy reveals. <laughs> People oh, fuck. are constantly announcing they're pregnant in a movie. That comes up all the time. Every third movie, somebody's pregnant, and it's it's usually stupid. Most of them, So basically, the best pregnancy reveals, but I'm just going to couch this as the least bad pregnancy reveals with the understanding that maybe they are all bad. If you can come up with a great one, that's fine, because that's a very least bad one. But if you can't come up with a great one, just come up with the least bad ones. Uh, does Anakin's dream of Natalie Portman crying and childbirth count as... Actually, it does count. It totally counts. If that's one of the least bad ones you can come up with, then do it. Uh, I'm not taking anything off the table. Uh, so uh, it's up to you guys to scour the movies that you've seen in which a pregnancy is revealed and come up with the three that are the least bad. When Arnie is pregnant and Stop Junior... talking, Galilee... <laughs> All right, next week we will also see... Oh, God. Uh, Tron. We're going to see Tron Legacy, which comes out on Blu-ray, and we're going to discuss the extras disc, the featurette about the special effects. By the way, hey, why, who will... why was it Fast 5 and 3D? What's up with that? I feel like I... Mm, they, they it was missed in 5D. They missed right, it has to make... be multiples. Yeah. All right, so let's see a 3D movie next week to make up for it. Let's see Thor. Wait, is that in 3D? Yeah. You bet. Thor. What was the preview I saw in 3D? Oh, it was that stupid... Oh, it was Three Musketeers is going to be in th- shot in 3D. Uh, God. All right, Thor in 3D. Fantastic. Thor? How many D is anonymous in? <laughs> oh, the Roland Emmerich thing. See, I don't even think of when you say the name of the title. It needs to have a different title, by the way. Really? Every time I see the word anonymous, I think of Roland Emmerich now. <laughs> It's had the exact opposite effect on me. Boy, trademark that. Uh, All right, so wait. next week, join us for a little Thor and uh, a three by three of the least bad pregnancy reveals. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Muwarski. Uh, Christian Muwarski. And Kelly Wand. Paul Walker works as an object, according to Tom's hand. I get a feeling it's going to be a riot. I don't read the newspapers because they all have ugly print. At the starting of the week, I tell me talks you'll hear them speak. It's only my. Negotiations breaking down See those leaders start to frown It's good and good day Tomorrow never comes until it's too
This podcast was done in a closed course, but not by professionals, so jump off your roof prudently.